Jesus. Amen. Amen. Good morning, 11 o'clock folks. How are y'all today? Everybody good? Yeah, see, can we work on your friendliness? Y'all are good people, and I know all of you, and I know y'all are friendly, and I know that underneath those masks, you are just smiling up a storm, but you just still look like, you know, a bunch of, you know, thugs coming in to rob a saloon or something. I mean, and we can't shake hands anymore, which, which is, I know that's just kind of stuck. Some of us, can, can we come up with something to do? Like, y'all, y'all came in and sat down, except for Willie and Orene. God bless you all. Y'all came in like human beings. Y'all waved at everybody. That, y'all, this is how you do it right here. The rest of y'all came in and sat down like you're at the doctor's office, like sitting in the waiting room at the doctor's office. And, and stop that. You stop that. Uh, be friendly. What can we do? We can't shake hands. Can we do something? With a mask on, you could, could wave, jazz hands. If you're really cool, you could do, you know, little hand pistols, you know. Could you blow a kiss without blowing? Because blowing you know, spews COVID, so don't blow. Just kind of, you could, just something. Would you look around, those around you right now, and blow a kiss or wave or air pistols? I mean, just be, be human together. It's just important that, see, <laughs> yeah, see, some of y'all ain't smiling. Y'all are just like... Yeah, I know how that works. Uh, no, so good to see you guys. Open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Very impressed that our trumpet player had a, uh, a mask on his trumpet. That, that's pretty good. Uh, actually, the wind instruments are one of the ways they say that we're supposed to not try to spread COVID. So, yeah, we have a mask on the end of the trumpet. So, Drew, uh, God bless Drew. That's amazing that that exists. Um, this is the second message today in a series entitled One Blood. We're talking about race and the gospel. I told you that it's a gospel structure. So what I mean by that is last week we talked about how God intended things to be. The fact that God created uh, not multiple races, but just humans. God created all of us as daughters and sons of Adam and Eve, common parents. There's just one human family. God made us that way. Today I want us to talk about how things are broken by sin. Again, it's a gospel structure. Sin ruins everything. Next week, we'll talk about how Jesus redeems, brings things back together. And then the final week could be restoration, God's perfect plan restored. It's the gospel spread across four weeks as we talk about race. Ephesians chapter two is where we are this morning. Let's talk about, uh, let's talk about sin. Elmer and Hazel have been married for 60 years, 60 years. They'd never really been off the farm, never really been anywhere And so the kids thought it would be fun to send Elmer and Hazel on a Mediterranean cruise. So Elmer and Hazel, after all of these years of marriage and never going anywhere, they got on an airplane, first time on an airplane, flew to Istanbul, Turkey, the international airport there, where they got off the plane for the very first time uh, in in a new place. So they got off the plane. They were kind of nervous, kind of excited. Uh, When they got to the gate at Istanbul, the customs agent was there and directed uh, Elmer and Hazel and everybody else on the plane to fall into this line here by this velvet rope, and the line was underneath this big sign that said foreigners, foreigners. So they asked Elmer to go into the line that said foreigners, and he lost his mind. Again, Elmer had never been anywhere. And so Elmer, when the customs agent directed him to the line that said foreigners, Elmer got so upset and he was stomping his feet, like stomping his feet in the Istanbul airport screaming, I ain't no foreigner, I ain't no foreigner, I ain't no foreigner. Would somebody like to tell him, I mean, can we just tell him that if you get on an airplane 
and you fly 15 hours, wherever you get off, you are a foreigner. Uh, this is how airplanes work. This is how the world works. You are a foreigner. But it's amazing that in all of his life, he had never learned to see himself from that other perspective. He only could see through his own eyes, and in his own eyes, he ain't no foreigner. But guess what? In Istanbul, Turkey, Elmer is a foreigner. Just like you and me and everybody else, we're all somehow foreigners. But, but how does that work? Again, if you're here last week, then you remember what we said. It's just the basic principle of the gospel and the basic principle of creation as God made us. First off, we are made as one human family born of the same parents. I said this, I said it with all my guts last week, y'all. Did y'all get it? I mean, we are absolutely one human family. There are not multiple races. There are not multiple races. The Bible does not teach that there are multiple races. Science confirms that there are not multiple races. We are all born of the same mother, Eve. It's in the Bible. I mean, it's everywhere. Can I just maybe slow down on saying that? Are y'all getting that by now? We are one human family. God made us this way. God made us born of the same parents. At the very same time, here's the dilemma. We're divided from one another. We're created from the same parents, but still, in our existence, as things are, we are divided and separated in as many ways as we can separate ourselves from one another as possible. We do it. We'll divide politically. I mean, right now is a really, really hard day for a whole lot of people because the presidential election was apparently settled yesterday, and some of you will never get over it. I mean, because the political division is so very strong. So very strong in our country. We're divided racially. We're divided in as many ways as we possibly can. And none of this makes sense because we are made as one human family born of the same parents. So what's going on? I want you to understand. Our separation from one another is not our biggest problem. It's not. It is a big problem. Our separation from one another is a big problem. Our divisions the major problem in this country, major problem in our communities, division is a problem. But understand, it's not our biggest problem. Sin is our biggest problem. Sin is the problem behind the problem, understand? And sin is the problem from which all of us need rescue. And that brings us to the gospel in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. I want us to talk about sin, how things got so confused, how things got so ruined. Ephesians chapter 2, though, is all about what Christ has done. So it's kind of like CSI. Uh, we're going to look and see what Christ has done, and then that will help us understand the problem that Christ was trying to fix, the problem that Christ has redeemed us from. You with me? So pay attention to what Christ has done and try to understand what sin is, what sin does, and how sin has separated us from one another, how Christ has restored us. Okay, Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read the whole chapter. Can, can you all hang with me? Did y'all eat breakfast? Y'all good? Deep breath. Let's read this. This is just so good. It's just so good. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin. Okay, what? Once you were dead, you used to live. Are you dead or are you alive? Understand, it's something of a paradox there. But that paradox is, is really something you have to grasp. You have to understand that, all right? Once you were dead 
Because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passion, desires, and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us, as shown in all that he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for it. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things you've done, so none of us can boast about it. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. That's all good. Said all this now to say this. Verse 11. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you've been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. Isn't this good? Y'all, is this not good? Verse 14. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into, say it, one people. United Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with his commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him, and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Before I really preach, can I just call you back to verse 16? Because verse 16 is the verse that just gripped me and and grips me now. I'm sure I've read it a thousand times. But it's just the way that Paul says in verse 16 that, that our hostility toward each other was one of the things put to death with Jesus on the cross. 
Did you get that? Our hostility. Uh, we're going to be talking about racism. Let's just say it, racism was one of those things that, that Jesus died for. And Paul says it right here. And, and what that means is uh, our, our, our hostility, our racist tendencies toward each other. Uh, this is part of why Jesus died. And it's part of what Jesus is saving us from. In other words, um, th these messages about racial harmony, that, this isn't just about being political or saying something nice because it's an, it's an important political moment. No, I am preaching the gospel, and this is ingredient to the gospel. It's always been part of the gospel. It's always been sitting right here. This is one of the reasons that Jesus died. And, and beyond that, the scripture literally says our hostility toward each other it was put to death on the cross with Jesus. Our hostility toward each other was put to death on the cross with Jesus. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. But we haven't done a very good job of preaching this part of the gospel. We've always somehow preached a gospel that allowed a whole lot of us to sit in church and continuing feeling really, really good while also having very, very racist hearts. And this is a contradiction. This cannot be, and we cannot continue to accept it. This is the gospel. So can we just talk about the problem? Let's start with the problem. I love in chapter 2 how it all begins. I've been, I've been saying that we're all made one human family. And it's very clear in the opening verses of Ephesians chapter 2. Because we all in the same boat. We're all in the same boat. And that is sin. All of us living under the same wrath of God. We're all sinners. And for that reason, one of the clearest places to see our unity, our sameness, is just in that simple matter that all of us have sinned. Every single one of us, none of us is righteous, no, not one. So in God's eyes, from that perspective, from our lostness, we're all the same. I mean, you can imagine yourself different or better or superior, but you, you're not fooling us, and you're only fooling yourself. I mean, you, we're all in the same boat. And this is what's so absolutely beautiful here. One gospel, one Savior saves us all because we all got the same problem, and that problem is sin. Sin. So let's talk about it. I love how Paul starts out. Once you were dead, so understand, sin brings death. The wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23, absolutely. Sin brings death. Okay, so here's the question. Here's the paradox. If, if sin brings death, why are there so many sinners walking around alive? I mean, even in this passage, Paul says, once you were dead in your sins, in your trespasses, that's how you used to live. Okay, that's some weird kind of dead person, you know, who's dead but also alive. I, I'm not making a joke. I, I want you to understand the fundamental truth of this because this is a fundamental truth of the gospel. When Paul says, once you were dead, he's talking to believers who have undergone a change. So the point is, once you were dead, but you're no longer dead, he's just reminding us how we used to be, how we used to think, how we used to live. And the word is dead, dead. What's he talking about? When we think of death, we typically think of one thing, and that is physical death. Physical death. Dead bodies. And if you got a dead body, you got a rotten, stinking corpse, you got something to deal with, right? It's a dead body. And we kind of have protocols for what to do with dead bodies. We understand dead bodies. 
But we don't understand what Paul says here, that you were dead, but you were living. How does that work? Well, Paul's talking about spiritual death. Now, I say that, and some of you think, okay, well, that, that must, you know, that's not, that's like metaphorically speaking. Like, it's not real death, it's just like spiritual death. No, it's real death. This is what death is. Death is not just physical. You only see the physical. You only think in physical categories. But the truth is, death has always been more than just physical. It is also, and most profoundly, spiritual. And this is a devastating part. Because if you're dead in this life, understand, when this life is over and you step into eternity, you will spend eternity in eternal death. Death is not just physical. It's spiritual. Spiritual death. So what this means is, as I said, you recognize a dead body. It's like, you know, a rotten corpse. It's, it's roadkill. You understand that. But what you have to also realize is that spiritually speaking, if, if you don't know Jesus, there is a part of you, the, the deepest part of you, the most important part of you, the eternal part of you is dead. It's dead toward God. In other words, there's a part of you that is a rotten corpse before God. You are a rock before God. You don't feel. You don't see. You don't move. You are a dead body, spiritually speaking. Does that make sense? You have to understand this. You have to know this because this is what Paul is saying. Once you were dead because of your sin, sin brings death. So understand, it is your sin, sin that kills that part of yourself that was receptive to God's life and love. This is the wages of sin. This is the consequences of sin. It's what sin does. So that part of you that was created by God for God, that part of you that was created to know God, to respond to God, to know his voice, to, to love his word, that, that part of you that was created to commune with him in prayer, to, to walk and, and live and breathe in him. Understand, that part of you, if you don't know Jesus, it's dead. So you don't know God. And probably in the back of your mind, you've always been suspicious as it was, that this was the case. Because you've recognized that there's something missing with you. Like you may meet a, a genuine believer, a true Christian, and you can see them pray, and they pray. And when they pray, it's a real conversation with God. They're talking to God, and, and they're talking, and, and they know God is listening. And, and when you pray, it's just sort of like talking into your mask. It's like talking into the wall. I mean, when you pray, it doesn't seem like a living conversation. People talk about the Bible, the Word of God, and they love it, and they read it. And to you, it's just a dead book. It's just a dead book. I'm telling you, the Word of God is living and active. If when you read it, it's a dead book, it's not the Bible that's dead. It's your heart that's dead. This is what I'm telling you. This is how you know. There is a part of you that is dead, absolutely dead. And, and, and this is why Jesus comes. When Jesus comes, he dies on the cross, and he comes back from the dead. He is raised, and Paul says, this is the gospel, the good news, you're raised with him. So Jesus is able to bring death uh, uh, back to life in you, to, to raise your dead heart, to, to quicken you spiritually so that you are now able to live in relationship with the God who made you as you were intended to live. Does all that make sense? 
Sin brings death. This is what we're saying. Your sin killed that part of yourself that was receptive to God's life and love. So let's take this one step further. Your sin killed that part of you that was receptive to God's life and love. So understand, it's not just that sin separates you from God. It does. But that's just the beginning of your problem. But when you don't know God, when you've turned away from God, your life is turned oriented away from him, then that means everything is ruined. And you may not know it because, as Paul says, everybody's like this. The whole world is spiritually dead. So you don't, like, stick out. You blend in. That's why you can watch television like eight hours in a row because everything coming off the screen is dead. It's spiritually dead. You just live in a world that is spiritually dead. So there's nothing really that makes you even understand that this part of you is dead. You don't know what you're dead to. You understand? And part of what you're dead to is the love of God, the very love of Jesus. Stay with me. If you're separated from the God who is himself love, the source of the only source of love in heaven and earth. If you're separated from him, then you can't know love. You can't even actually love. I'm not saying you can't have feelings for your family, for your cat. I mean, I understand that. I'm just telling you, there's still a part of you that is dead. You can't love perfectly. You can't love truly. And you certainly can't love the way God loves. Understand? There's something broken in you, and part of what is broken are relationships. How many times have you been married now? Why do you think it is that you have to change churches like every two years because you end up not getting along with like anybody anywhere? Understand? There's this relational brokenness that, that is the theme of your life, and I'm telling you, that goes back to sin. It all goes back to sin. You are separated from that part of you that would be receptive to God's love. Now let's go one step further. You're created to know God. God's supposed to, to fill that vacuum, that empty place in your soul. Without that God, without God sitting on the throne of your life, you only got one other option. I mean, you got to have somebody on the throne of your life. You got to have some north star. You have something that guides you. So, so who do you put on the, you know, the, the throne of your life? Yourself. Sin turns us away from God. Sin always turns us in toward ourselves. So sin, as, at its very root, is a self-centeredness. But with that, it's this tendency to sort of measure everything now by yourself. You are your own standard. So th that means, for example, you don't necessarily agree with everything God calls sin. To you, sin is just, you know, the things you call sin. Like you're the one that gets to judge. Like you're the standard. So for you, sin just becomes, you know, things you don't like. The, the, you know, the things other people do that you hate. And so that's why you all the time come up to me saying, hey, Pastor Tim, would you preach a sermon on homosexuality? See, the reason you want to hear that is because you're not a homosexual. But you would just love to sit through a really good sermon where I give it to the homosexuals. You know, we just sort of love when we can stand back and define sin in ways that don't include us. We always turn in toward ourselves. Now stay with me. When you're turned in toward yourself, the thing is nobody else in the whole world is going to measure up if, if you are the measure. Nobody's as good at being you as you are good at being you. So that means everybody else in all creation 
falls a little bit short when you get to make yourself the standard. And this is where racism comes from. Did you follow all that with me? It's related to sin. It's related to the nature of sin to turn us in toward ourselves. And so I begin to think that I am normal. I am the standard. I'm the measure of everything. And so people like me, therefore, are also more or less normal. The more they are like me. And the people that aren't like me, they're not normal. They don't measure up. They're somehow inferior or their lives aren't as important as my life is. You understand how that works? It all comes from that root of sin. Sin inevitably brings division and hostility between people. As Paul would say, we're strangers and foreigners, all of us. Strangers and foreigners. We're not supposed to be strangers. We're all born of the same parents. Understand? All creatures are the same good, loving God, but we are strangers and foreigners, and it has to do with our sin. It's our sin. It turns us against one another. We make ourselves a standard. I was in a lecture in the art department at WKU a while back. It was a wonderful, wonderful lecture. She was from Korea and, uh, and spoke very little English, but she was brilliant, and I loved her. And I loved her lecture. Uh, she was just beautiful, and uh, we had a wonderful afternoon. At the end of the lecture, she got, opened the floor for questions. People could ask her questions. And uh, one of the female students asked a question, and the professor from Korea said, uh, oh, I'm, uh, excuse me, tell me your name. And the, and the girl said, my name is Donna. And then the Korean professor said, I don't even know why I asked you your name. Because all of your names are so strange. And then she said, I never will remember your name because you all look the same. We look the same. I, I mean, you know, and I, what's strange about Donna? Like, that was her name, Donna. Well, Donna, what's strange about that, Donna? You know, it, it's just a name. You know, for us, it's like, no, no, you got this wrong, you know, girl, we're not strange. Our names aren't strange, you know. I don't remember her name because it was strange. <laughs> I, I'm not being racist, and she wasn't being racist or rude either. I'm just being honest. That's how we are as human beings. We are used to what we're used to. We're familiar with what we're familiar with. And we are most comfortable with people like us who look like us with names that we've heard throughout our lives. And we just have this tendency to measure everybody else as if somehow they're not normal. They can't possibly be like us. We don't have very much in common. And for that matter, they may not be as you know, worthy. It's called racism. Y'all know this, right? It's sin. So the only brand new car that my dad, Don Harris, right here, dad never bought a new car. He would buy cars that were new to us, you know, like going out for a new car. Then he would come back in with, you know, big jalopy that was not new. That's okay. But one day he came home with an actual new car, like Don. I don't know, head injury, I don't know. But he came home with a brand new car. It was, uh, it was in the 70s. What year was it, Dad? Dad bought a brand new Volkswagen Beetle. It was orange. <laughs> it was orange, y'all. Uh, Volkswagen Beetle. That car was approximately the size of your kid's backpack. The school is about this big, and we were a family of four, 
And so it was a brand new car. It was awesome. Y'all seen them? Y'all they're back now. It's a thing. But Don Harris had them before they were cool. I mean, we, we had one. So I would ride in the back seat everywhere with my sister in a Volkswagen Beetle. Now, y'all don't understand because y'all don't understand. Listen to Papa. This was a little car. So the back seat is probably about as wide as this screen. Like, true story. So I'm in the back seat with my sister, and my sister, I loved my sister. She was older than I, and, and I was a sweet little brother, but she was just snotty to me. I mean, just snotty to me. And so my sister, my parents are up in the front seat. We're going to church, you know, and my sister would look at me, and then she, she wouldn't say a word. She would just draw a line, and she'd make sure I'd see it. She'd look at me, and she'd go, She draw a line down the back of the seat and across the seat, and she just look at me. You know, wasn't that snotty? She just draw a line and just look at me. What was she telling me? What did that mean? First off, how many of you in this? How many of you big sisters did that? How many of you've done that? You've drawn the line, yeah. How many of you had a sister or brother who did that? Yeah, yeah. I feel your pain. I feel it. I feel it. So my sister draw that line like that. What was she telling me? My side, your side. Absolutely. Yeah, my side, your side. So what would I do? I would look out the window like this, and then I'd go. Now, what am I doing? What was I doing? I was showing her something. What was I showing her? Your line ain't real. You know, you can draw it as much as you want, you know. That don't make it real. You don't make it real. It's an imaginary line. Now, what I want to tell you is you're still doing that. You're still doing that. You are forever drawing lines to divide yourself from others. You're doing it. You've been doing it. You've been doing it a long, long time. Maybe you were taught to do this. Maybe your parents raised you. Maybe your grandparents. Maybe the church always taught you that people are different and you got to keep yourself separate. I'm telling you, you're forever drawing lines. And, and when you erase one line, you'll draw a new one. Because I'm telling you, this is our sinful nature. We're separated from God, and we continue to separate ourselves from one another. But can I tell you the truest thing I know how to tell you? All of your lines are imaginary. They're all imaginary. They are no more real than my sister's line in the backseat of the Volkswagen Beetle. All of your lines are imaginary. Jesus himself died on the cross, and when he died on the cross, the scripture says, the wall of hostility between people came down. Our hostility, our racism, our tendency to look at, across at one another and despise one another, all of that died on the cross with Jesus. It died on the cross with Jesus. So you and I have got some explaining to do. Because if that hostility, if that racism died on the cross with Jesus, then it should not still be alive in you. It should not be alive in me and you. It is a contradiction of everything you profess and claim in Jesus for you to say that you belong to Jesus, but then say that you don't belong to everybody else that belongs to Jesus. It's a contradiction of the gospel to start building those walls of hostility back up between you and other people. It is a contradiction of what Jesus died for. Are, are you listening to me? Y'all got masks on. Are, are y'all mad at me? Or, can we do this? Can we keep doing this? Let's go on. Let's just define racism. Last week I defined the word race and I told you that there's no such thing. No such thing as race. 
Today I want to define racism, but I want you to understand this is real. Race is not real, but racism is real. This is real. Now, it's still just an idea, and it's also a lie, but you need to understand, even if it's a lie, if you believe it's true, a lie that you believe as truth will operate in your life as if it is true. So some of you live in this world. You live in a world, a very racist world, and I want you to understand, racism is an idea that one group of people that looks mostly the same is either better or worse than another group of people. You with me? So it's one thing to notice difference. We can notice difference. I can look out across and see that we all look really different. But the point is, I don't attach anything to that difference. The fact that you're different from me doesn't make me better or, or, or you worse. It, it doesn't matter at all. The fact that all of you have noses that are way too small, you know, I feel sorry for you. I think everybody ought to have an extra, you know, like a you know, supersized nose. I think that's beautiful. You understand? But the fact that we're different, we just look different, it, it doesn't make any difference. We shouldn't attach any value to that. This one group that looks mostly the same will look at other groups and, and will ascribe you know, value. That somehow we're better or, or somehow you're worse. Or, or God helps some of us have grown up in a racist culture that's always told us that we're the ones who weren't as valuable. That we were the ones who were inferior. I mean, some of you have been taught that. That your life somehow doesn't matter as much as everybody else matters. And I'm telling you, all of this is a lie. And all of this comes from sin. It all comes from sin. It's this idea that one group of people can be better or, or worse. And I'm telling you, that is not in the Bible. It's not scriptural. It is sin. And, and racism itself, we can say, is one of the things that died on the cross with Jesus. It, it's gone. It's gone. It's gone. So understand, racism itself is sin. I'll say it over and over and over. Racism is sin. This is sin. You say, well, Pastor Tim, I'm a pretty good person. I have a little bit of racism. I got that from my daddy. Yeah, I'm telling you, that's not okay. It's not okay. If Jesus himself died to bring down the wall of hostility between the other people, then it's not okay. I mean, Jesus died to remove that stronghold of racism from your heart. And if you continue to cling to it or tell yourself that it's okay just because you know you live in the South and that's how everybody is, that's not how Jesus is. And your example, your, your life in holiness is coming from Jesus, not people in the South. Are, are you with me? So racism is sin and it is a consequence of sin. I would call it a stronghold. It's another one of Paul's words. It's a stronghold from which Christ died to set us free. Stronghold is a, that's a military word, right? It's a military word, like, like warfare. Paul, at the beginning of this passage that we're reading today, says, you used to live, verse 2, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. See, that's military language. The devil's waging a war. Now, his war is against God and, and, and all of the angels of light. His war is against God. It's against Christ. But understand, he can't get to God. He, he ain't nothing that the devil can do to, to, to get to God. You know, he can't hurt God. So the devil's strategy is just to hurt what God loves. See, some of you, you know, you, you, might, you might 
not think you're hurting me or attacking me, but if you do something to my son whom I love, all of a sudden now, now you and I got problems. Understand? And so the devil knows that God so loved the world that he sent his only son to die. So understand, the devil can't go actually make war with, with God. He's been cast out of heaven. So he just comes down here and goes after what God loves. And God loves you. God loves you. So like it or not, you have an enemy all day long. Like it or not. He wants to destroy you. He would destroy your life. But for the most part, he's content just to continue to drag you further and further and further into that sin that separates you from God and everybody else. All right? So you have an enemy. And understand, this enemy is doing real spiritual warfare in your life every day, this very minute. And racism is a stronghold. Again, it's a military word. A stronghold is where I move into the enemy's territory, but I establish a, a place for myself. I, I get a foothold. And that means now I'm closer and I can wage war. I have a place to defend, but I'm right here in the territory. Understand? In the territory, the one I'm fighting. And this is how the devil works in your life. And this is how racism works. It's a stronghold. The devil has moved into your heart, and he's established this stronghold of racism, this tendency that you have to judge other people, to look at other people, to think of the names that, that you could call them. You, you have this tendency to look at other people and measure yourself a little bit higher, a little bit more important. Understand, this is a stronghold of the devil because all of that thinking is a contradiction of the gospel. It's, it's a stronghold. And that means it's going to be real, real warfare. I mean, this isn't going to just go away. I mean, honestly, as I said, most of us, the stronghold was fortified by people that we love, by people who were like us. And, and it was often strengthened and in, in, in some ways even encouraged in the churches that we attended. I mean, so this, this mental you know, block of racism is very difficult to shake loose. I mean, it's, it's deep in us. It's, it's established, but I'm telling you, it's a stronghold of evil. It's evil in your life. And for that reason, you have to allow Christ. You have to invite Christ to remove this. This is why he died. It's the power of Jesus. You can't do this without him. You'll never do it without him. Understand, through Jesus, all people are reunited into one people. Paul says it over and over and over. Christ himself has brought peace, peace to us. United Jews and Gentiles into one people. When in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility. One people. One, one people. And I, I really can't imagine finishing the sermon without just talking to anyone in the sound of my voice who really probably just got stuck like when I first started talking about being spiritually dead. Because some of you are, are spiritually dead. Most everybody is. The only way that you can be brought to life, the only way your dead heart can come to life is if Christ brings it to life. You, you, you can't do that for yourself. There's nothing you can do to earn it or get closer. Understand, you're, you're dead. You're spiritually dead. The only, only hope for you is that Christ himself brings you to life. And it's just what we mean by becoming a Christian. It's what we mean by talking about salvation. This is exactly what we're talking about. Some of you have never taken that first step. And I, I, I just beg you to take the first step toward Christ. Say yes to him. Let him bring you back to life. Find out 
the purpose for which you were made. Find out the love for which your heart was created to share. Others of us, though, have been Christians a long, long time, and that, that's kind of the puzzle. Because there's so much of this old way Paul talks about. There's so much hostility. So many lines we're still drawing, and that's, that's not a part of our life in Christ. That's a part of our dead life before. That just means Christ still got work to do in our hearts. He's still got work to do. Because when Christ has things his way, understand? If he gets everything he died for, that means you and I find ourselves uh, brought close to him. And when I end up getting close to Jesus, I find out, man, I'm not the only one he brought in. He brings in the whole world, y'all. He's invited the whole world. So when I come into Christ, I find out that I'm suddenly in Christ with a whole lot of other people in Christ. And if you belong to Christ and I belong to Christ, then there's no way that you and I don't belong to each other. What this means is in Christ, because of Jesus, there are no foreigners. And we can never, ever be strangers. One people. One people if you trust Jesus. But pray with me. Lord, we know it's true. But God, this uh, is a stronghold for some of us, Lord. It goes back a long, long way. And sometimes what we see in the world around us, Lord, it only, it only drives it deeper. Makes it harder, Lord. Sometimes what we see on television, the way we see people at each other's throats, Lord, it, it stirs this old, old part of us, Lord, that, that wants to draw lines and, and wants to say who's in and who's out. Part of us that wants to say that we're different, that we're better. Somehow, Lord, others are less than. Lord, none of this has anything to do with the life that we find in Jesus. Jesus, will you help us? Lord Jesus, will you give us your eyes so that we can see people the way you see people? Will you give us your heart so that we can love people the way you love people? Lord Jesus, will you show us that we are brought into one family that does not revolve around us, Lord, but it revolves around you? Oh, God, you include the whole world so we cannot draw lines that put people out. When you have brought everyone in, Lord, we cannot possibly continue to be hostile toward people with which we disagree, people that look different from us. Lord, none of this has anything to do with the work that your Holy Spirit is doing in our hearts. So, Holy Spirit, teach us to love. Teach us that all of those who know Jesus and all of those who share this spirit, it's the same spirit. And if we have the same blood of Jesus flowing through our veins and there is nothing, nothing in the world can tell us that we're not the same family. Help us, Lord. We do not love our neighbors as we love ourselves, Lord. Teach us to love. Teach us to see. Teach us, Lord Jesus, to let the whole work of the gospel be done and fulfilled in our dead hearts. We pray these things in the name of Jesus who died to save us all. Amen.